Well, today I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart, Indiana Jones. Yeah, so when I think about our mission statement, and especially that first part, you know, transforming families, uh, I, I think he is a perfect example. And so today I want to talk about his life and his movies. Now, I'm not going to spoiler any, like everyone has seen these movies, right? That's most of you? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Chronologically, what is the first movie? It is not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, so technically the second movie made happens before Raiders of the Lost Ark. In the very beginning it says, I think, uh, 1935, and then Raiders takes place in 1936. Yeah, so for the sake of this illustration, we got to go with that. All right. How many of you, okay, so when you think about the rankings of Indiana Jones movies, usually this movie takes a backseat to the other two, right? Is there anyone here whose favorite is Temple of Doom? There you go. I, well, she's hiding, but there you go. Okay? Temple of Doom. I, I, I love Temple of Doom, all right? It, it's, uh, but it's, you know, it's not my favorite, but I love, I love all these movies, so... But we're going to start with Temple of Doom. And if you guys remember that movie, it starts with Indiana Jones looking like he's, you know, from Casablanca. He's in that white suit, and he's in there, and he's giving up. He's doing a trade with um, some mobsters. And he has the, the remains of an of a old emperor, right? And what is he trading it for? A diamond, okay? So that's not the Indiana Jones we know. We know he's like all about artifacts, museums, but he's given away the urn of an emperor for a diamond, okay? That's a different Indiana Jones, right? He, you know, over some, you know, some stuff happens. He ends up getting away, barely, and then he has to do some like ridiculous jump out of an airplane with an inflatable boat. You know, but that's what makes these movies special. That's what makes these movies awesome. Somehow he, you know, starts in the mountains, ends up in a river, and he finds himself in India. And there he comes across a village. And the whole time the village is hurting, they're sad. They have lost all their children. And Indiana Jones, he's trying to communicate to him. He says, I need to get to Delhi. What's, where, where's Delhi? Can someone take me to Delhi? And they're like, no, we need you. We need you. He goes, no, Delhi, Delhi, Delhi. And then he finds out that what's really going on here. He starts asking questions. He goes, okay, so you're missing your sacred stones. This happened, this happened. And he starts thinking, oh, I think these are the missing Sankara stones. What's in them? His little friend, Short Round, says, well, what's in them? He goes, well, in the middle, there's diamonds. And then he goes, well, what happens to whoever gets them? What does Indiana Jones say? You guys don't know? All right. He says, fortune and glory. Okay, so that tells you where his mind is at. He's all about fortune and glory. And it wasn't until that moment that he decides, okay, I will go on this quest. Now, the thing about these movies is, even though they're amazing, we love them, they're very simple as far as like a story goes, right? It's the simple hero's journey, okay? There's a call to action, 
And that action is going to, you know, they say that the hero gets the call to action, and then he's off to find the magical elixir, right, which is, could be anything, but it's what they're after. So in this movie, the magical elixir is the Sankara stones. And so he goes in, and after a while, he, as he progresses into the story, he eats the monkey brains and the snakes, <laughs> gross me out, whatever. Uh, he then sees the evil that's happening. He sees that there's a cult that has taken over this land and brought a darkness and that this cult is just infecting everybody and that, the, you know, they took the key, sees that the kids are being used as slaves. And so there's a shift in Indy, right? There's a shift in him and he decides to do the right thing. He wants to save them and he does. Um, and so fortune and glory goes out the window for him. He rescues the kids. He, he defeats the bad guy. He gets one of the stones, and instead of holding on to that fortune and glory, maybe selling it, breaking it, he gives it back to the village. And he is able to walk away with the magical elixir, returns, and end of movie. Happy for everybody, right? <laughs> that's, that's that one. So then let's go one year later, 1936. Indiana Jones is, you know, in the jungle, but now... He, you know, you get to see his real world, what he does for a living. You don't see that in that second movie, but you see it in the first movie, and he's a professor, right? And you see how he's so uncomfortable being in that world. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like the attention. He wants to leave. And so he gets, he meets with the government. The government say, hey, look, the Nazis are looking for something. He goes, we know that you're an expert on it. And he goes and he tells a story. It's a very, I love that scene because it's like, it's like, uh, you know, the camera stops. It gets real dramatic. And Indy starts talking about like just what the arc is and describing it and the power. And then at the very end, he goes, yeah, but if you believe in that sort of thing. See, Indy's the expert, but he didn't know the power, right? But you need an expert to go find this thing. And so the government said, look, we'll find you. Go, go get it. Go find it. And he's all excited. He goes, look, I get to go on an adventure. I'm out of the classroom. This is going to be fun. And so now, over time, he gets in there. He sees the ark. He, when he's finally face-to-face -face with the ark of the covenant, covenant there's another shift in him. He sees its beauty. He sees that it's, there's, a little, there's something more than just a gold box. And so now he knows he's in a race against the Nazis, a race against evil, because if the Nazis get a hold of this, who knows what they could do. They could win the war. They could change the world. They could do all these things, and he's not going to have it, so he's in a race against them. But he was still skeptical, but he wasn't, even though he was skeptical, he respected it. And he had enough wisdom, he had enough like, kind of foresight that when he knew when the Nazis were going to open it, he said, uh, I'm not really 100% sure what's going to happen, but close your eyes. Okay, just close your eyes. You see, the one thing I love about Indiana Jones and one of the things that he says in the movie when they said, okay, what's the plan when the Nazis finally take the yard? He goes, I don't know, I'm making it up as I go. Right? We can all relate to that. We're making this up as we go. We don't have all the answers. We don't know. And yet, Indy just knows, but I'm just going to go forward. Doesn't matter what, I'm moving forward. And so he goes. He knows to close his eyes. Yes, you know that ending. You got your faces implode. You got faces melt. Faces explode. <laughs> Boom. We see the power of God just destroy, just wreck the Nazis. And we're like, yeah. 
And of course, you know, I mean, the, the, the classic scene is when the, we see the government put it in a box and just be like, ah, eh, we're just going to store it. Right. <laughs> Even though Indy did come back with the magical elixir, the elixir being the ark, he, you know, he didn't officially get it, but he brought it again. End of the movie. Everything's cool. It's over. Let's go to the next movie, Last Crusade. 1938 is when this movie takes place. We get a different beginning. How many of you, this is your favorite movie out of the three? Okay, all right. I forgot to ask, how many of you like Raiders? Yeah, all right. All right, so we get, the, we get to see a different beginning. We get to see young Indy, played by River Phoenix. And, and you get to see kind of where he's coming from. He's got this, like... Um, uh, like, I guess, righteous indignation to stop these grave robbers or these treasure seekers, which is going to be him in a couple years, because he wants to make sure that this gold cross gets in a museum. It shouldn't be sold. It shouldn't be anything. He says, it belongs in a museum. And you see, you know, you see how he gets his fear of snakes. You see how he does a whip for the first time, jacks up his face. But the one thing, most important thing, he's being chased. He's literally being ran for his life. Right? Like people, he's running from it, you know, for his life. He makes it home and he's like, Dad, Dad. And the dad's like, Stop. Tell me your Latin. And he's like, Okay. And he starts doing the Latin. And the dad cannot be bothered because the dad is so focused on the Holy Grail. It was his obsession. Now, there's some things. Now, 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 maybe that's where we know where Indy gets his love for old antiquities and antiques and stuff like that. But we see his dad. Not, not even caring that a bunch of goons came into the house and like basically took the cross from him, right? So we kind of get a little, little backstory on India and the relationship with his father. And the whole time, he never understood his dad's obsession with this grail. Never got it. So as the movie progresses... Whole, the, the elixir being the grail finds out that his dad is missing, gone been kidnapped because now the Nazis are really progressively looking for the Holy Grail. I couldn't get the Ark. They're going to get the Grail. And um, there's this whole time, the whole movie, he, again, he didn't understand his dad's obsession. He was skeptical the whole time. But as the movie progresses, he starts to see things. He starts to see like, oh, wow, maybe my dad was onto something. Maybe my dad was, you know, into this. And then they meet. And then, you know, you, you, you know it's always like, Junior. You know, it's never, he does not call him Indiana throughout the whole movie, right? So it's always like, and you see this dynamic play forth, and, you know, you could tell his dad is, is really onto something, and he did his best to raise Indy, but whatever. And then even, like, you know, they're arguing, and then, like, I think Indy says, like, Jesus, Dad, your obsession. And the dad just backhands him and goes, that's for blush me. Right? There's something that he's like telling and in, in putting into his son, even though his son is still just not, you know, not there. There's still a skepticism, not understanding his dad. There's a disconnect between them. And at the very end of the movie, you know, they, there's all these sorts of things that happen. They're finally face to face with the bad guy. They're, they're moments away from getting that elixir, from getting the grail, from completing the movie. And the bad guy, Donovan, shoots Indy's dad in the stomach. And then one of the most important lines in the movie, the bad guy looks at Indiana Jones. He goes, now, Dr. Jones, it's time to find out whether or not you believe Okay, 
He has his book. He had, doesn't know where to go. He goes, now my dad's bleeding out. My dad's dying. Do I, do I go forth to, to do these three t- quests, tests, sorry, and to get the Holy Grail to save my dad? Or do I not believe in it and just be like, this is hocus pocus? He does it. He decides. He goes on the test. And you guys know the test, right? You guys, you've seen the movie? First one is like, you know, you're going to get your head chopped off if you don't do it right. Second one's a leap of faith. The third one is like you could fall down onto some spikes. <laughs> the thing is, let's look at those tests. Let's look at what the first one is. It's called like the penitent man shall pass. The penitent man shall pass, meaning you have to kneel because if you kneel at the right moment, the saws go above your head and you don't lose your head right? The second one is the leap of faith. It's you're at the, you're at the cliff and it's such a cool scene and he doesn't know. And he's like, are you kidding me? He's looking all around. Where's the ladder? Where's the rope? What can I do? My whip's not going to make it. And he does, he has that moment. You see India up on the, India on the thing and he goes, <sighs> psyching himself out. And he just, he just goes, he does the leap of faith. Of course, it's a trick, you know, but there's, there is actually land there, but it didn't look at it. But he made it, right? He crosses. Third one is you got to know the word of God because you got to step on the right letters because if you step on the wrong letters, you're going to fall through and die. Look at that progression, right? He, the penitent man, you got to ask for forgiveness. You got to have a leap of faith and then you got to learn the word of God. That leads you to the grail, which is everlasting life, right? Isn't that crazy? Here's the thing. As, you, as they progress, as he walks in, he meets the knight, which is by far, I think, that's where I have a problem with this movie. Not a big fan of the knight, but whatever, whatever. The dude's, I guess he's just been sitting there? Okay. Um, but, okay, but along the way, he, he turns off the, 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 the saws that cut off your head. He puts sand on the on the thing so that the bad, so this is so the bad guy can follow him in because he was told to do that. And then he, you know, he, you could see the right path to take. So he does all the work for the bad guy. So he gets in there and the knight says like, you got to choose. You got to, you see all these cups. One of them's the grail, one of them's not. And he says, if you drink in an unworthy manner, life's going to be taken from you, right? That's kind of the importance of why we do communion. Okay, it's not just eating a snack and drinking some juice. It's very important, and you have to do it in a worthy manner. So the same thing, in the end, same thing with the grail. Choose the right one or life. One will give you everlasting life. One will take it from you. Okay, the bad guys come in. It's this girl, Elsa, and Donovan. And Donovan, the first thing he says is, I'm not a historian. I don't know which one it is. And Elsa says, let me choose. And so she chooses the most godly-looking cup. And, of course, the guy says, oh, yeah, this is a cup of a king. This is a cup of a king. He drinks it. I thought about showing you, but I thought we, you know, with the mummy last week, uh, probably not. Right? He drinks it, and he just turns old. All of a sudden, he's just bones and nasty. It's terrifying. He's, like, screaming while he's still bones. Um, Here's the thing. He took the shortcut way in. Right? He had someone else's faith do all that work to get him in. He then trusted in, well, for the sake of an argument, science or his, he trusted the girl to like, okay, you're going to choose the right one for me. And he drank it and he died. Wow. Say that again. Yeah. Wow. I, okay. Uh, 
So he trusted, he trusted in the wrong thing. He let someone else do all the work. So he backpacked on someone else's faith. He trusted in someone else's opinion. And he drank the wrong one. And he died. And he, of course, knowing who he is, he picked the right one. Because it was all the steps. It was the step of the penten- uh, repentance. It was the step of the leap of faith, trusting in an unseen God, and then his believing in his word. All that led for Wendy to ha- Indy to have that wisdom into choosing the right cup. From a guy that had that diamond, and all of a sudden, following through with this. He gets the cup, and now... It's time for a clip. Let's, let's watch this scene. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, stop. <laughs> a little bit more context. Stop. We're going to reset. He brings the cup, heals his dad. Indy legit sees the wound on his dad just, you know, like looks like a, just disappear. It gives his dad the drink. But the thing is, you cannot leave with the grail. That's the price of immortality. Okay, cannot leave with it. Has to stay where it's at, because that night, he's got to be there. Um, And so this is it. This is the very end, after the dad was saved. So there it is. That is the climax of the movie. It's what the whole movie was about. Remember what I said, the elixir, he, in the first one, the Sankara stones, was the ark. This is the one he doesn't walk away with. It's because the elixir was never truly the grail. It was the relationship with his father. That's what he needed to walk away with, the reconciliation of, 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 <clears throat> of him and his dad. And, and I think it's, it's such, a, such a beautiful, well-done scene because... The very, like I said, the whole movie, he's not calling him Indiana. That's how Indy wants to be called. And it wasn't until he finally says, Indiana, he gets his son's attention off of the fortune and glory and onto the father. Okay? And it wasn't like, look, I'm not, like, like, it was a reconciliation. It was a moment between two people. Right? It was a reconciliation within the family. It, it was the connection, not only just for, for Indy and his own walk, but it was the moment that he got to have with his dad. And not only that, but it was also the moment that he was able to, to, to let it go, to, to not be all about fortune and go away. Now, look, he has gone through some crazy, crazy adventures, right? The cult in the first one, which is interesting. Like, like if you, again, if you go by the first one, paganism, Right? Paganism, the second one, the Ark, Judaism, right? It's almost as if how, how history got to know God. We were, you know, everyone was pagan, and then God came with Judaism, and then at the last was Christianity. See, that's transformation. It didn't happen overnight. It, 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 it took a while. It took a while for that to happen. Now, when we talk about seeing families and cultures transformed by heaven, I want to just... just Two, I want to define two words, okay? Well, first I want to read Romans 2, 2, um, 12, 2, real quick, as it talks about this. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, which is what we want, by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So there's two words here. There's transform and there's conform. So conform is to become similar in form and nature, to comply with rules, standards, and laws, whereas transform is to change into a different form, make a thorough or dramatic change in form, appearance, or character. Like conform, would it be nice if my son conformed and my daughters conformed to everything I wanted them to do? It would, but then they'd be robots. And what we've said before, what we've always said before, that God doesn't treat us as robots. God treats us as unique individuals because we are unique creations, okay? And all our journeys and all our walks are going to be different from the person sitting next to you, okay? My kids' walk with Jesus is going to be different than the walk that I have with Jesus. They're not going to do things the way I want them to do or the way, you know, how they're going to worship or how they do things. They're not because they're going to have their own unique individual relationship with Jesus. They're not going to conform. But the big one is I don't want them to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what God wants us to do. Conforming is rebellion against God. It's a quick and easy and creates destructive patterns. But being transformed by the renewing of our minds is, being, is the opposite. And it's being into God's word. See, that's where the battleground is. It's in the mind. It's, between, it's being conformed and being transformed. The battlefield of the minds. As Christians, we must think differently. Okay? See, the problem with a lot of people or Christians I've seen in, in different walks and times, that they never reach that transformation point. Because they're, <clears throat> they're either so concerned with feelings or they're so concerned with doings, okay? They've never reached that transform. Look, do you know how much money and lotto tickets I have lost because of feelings? <laughs> Not that much. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, a degenerate or anything. <laughs> but every time I buy one, I have a feeling. I feel like the numbers were given to me by heaven, and I'm going to do this. <laughs> feelings. Or then some people are so concerned, you know, because, again, going back to feeling, is our feelings change from day to day. Our feelings can change with our job, about our spouses, about our life, about the church, about our pastor, even about this sermon your feeling might be changing as we talk. Our feelings change. And doing, it's all about, okay, just tell me what to do. Don't tell me your theology. Don't let me get into anything. I just want to do this so that I can get into that. I want to just do they're so busy about doing that they're not letting themselves be transformed. Yeah. You should be asking not how do I feel or what should I do, but asking, well, what is true? What is true? Let God transform your mind. We can't force it. <clears throat> if you've been around in this church for any long time, you, we say this scripture a lot. And if you're new and I want you to hear it. Well, we're going to hear it anyways. But this is Deuteronomy 6, 6, 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames, on your houses, and on your gates. It covers everything. This is, what, this is how we renew our minds, right? This is how we do it with, with families, with kids, okay? I don't, I'm, you're looking for those moments as they grow to speak into their lives, You don't just do it on a Sunday. You don't just have your one hour a week Bible time. You don't let their salvation be up to their youth pastor. It is your responsibility. It is our responsibility as parents. But you take advantage. You do it on the road. You do it at home. You do it when they get up and lie down. And then I love how it says that you tie them, tie symbols on their hands and on their foreheads. And yes, that's a legit thing people do. What are those things called? Okay. Um, someone knows. But, but let's just take it like this. Mind your actions and your thoughts. Yeah. Okay? Put, your, put what God wants to do in your actions and your thoughts. That's transformation. That's what Deuteronomy tells us, how we are to be transformed. And so here at Granite Creek, when you think about that, the bigger scope that we want to create a place that no matter where you are in your walk or where you are in your, on your, in your life, that we create a place where you can come and grow. Now, for some, sometimes that transformation is overnight. It's different for everybody. For some, it takes a while. But we want to be a place here where you can bring your family, where you can bring your friends and your, your you, know, <clears throat> you know, coworkers or whatever, and that you have a place to come in as you are, but to start growing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter the speed, but we want you to grow. Mm-hmm. We're making it up as we go. Just move forward. Amen. Amen. And who knows, like, like, like I love that, like, like Indy and his father's relationship. It took all these movies for Indy to change, to transform and whatever it was in the past with his dad didn't want nothing to do with him, it took all these movies to finally end with him finally saying, or their, their family whole reconciling. And I think that's what this whole, this whole thing is about. Jesus reconciling us to God, and now we need to be open for reconciling ourselves. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Well, before I tag, I'm also supposed to plug something. So this sim, well, it's gone. Um, this, this whole thing was, you know, we, me and um, Jim LaDuche, we do a podcast where we talk about movies and we talk about, you know, how it relates to the gospel. It's on YouTube or Apple or Spotify, uh, one of those. But if you're, if you're into those sort of things, just letting you know it's out there. All right. All right. Josh, tag of the mano. Great job, Michael. Isn't that good? You could probably end there, but wait, there's more. And by the way, the show is great. So I just want to encourage you to give it a listen, give it a watch. It's a fun show, and they just geek out on it. And you've got to see this movie. No, what's, oh, it's a guy who's this movie. Yeah, yeah. 
You Gotta See This Movie is the name of the show. So uh, give, it a, give it a watch. It's a lot of fun. All right. This is part two. So once again, our vision is to see families transformed by heaven, which is what Michael framed out for us. That reconciliation and that communication uh, in the home is, is vital. Number two is what does it mean and what does it look like to see culture transformed by heaven? What's the next step look like? And I've got to tell you, I have a vision for this. I have this crazy notion, I have this wild-eyed idea that an entire city can come to know the Lord. Why not? And what happens when an entire community serves the Lord? It has been documented. We can prove it. There is a redemption and lift. Everything gets better. The economy, when people submit themselves, when a people group submit themselves to the Lord, when a culture submits to the Lord, the economy gets better. The produce grows bigger. There is more joy. There is more creativity. There is more life. There is more art. The music is better when an entire culture is serving the Lord. I think it can happen. Like, I, I, think, I, think, I think Claremont can get saved. Amen. I actually believe that. Why do I believe that? Because it once was. Did you know that this city, the city of light, yeah, that, that's, that's the name of the city. Claire, light, Mont, mountain, light, mountain. And then our, our sister city right to the south, Montclair, is the mountain of light. So there is in the DNA of our city and the surrounding cities, and particularly Southern California, there's something very special and magical about Southern California. If you've ever been to Israel, it feels like Israel. There's some differences, but man, it's, this is some sacred land that we live on. So I just, I just believe it. I believe it because we have history. Revival has come out of this area that has literally changed the world a couple of times. So why not again? I know, I know what you might be thinking. Pastor Josh, you don't know the people that I know. You don't know where I work. You don't, you don't know my Uncle Bob. I want you to think about the rudest, most cynical, angry, God-hating person you know. You just, like, you just think about it. Have you ever tried to lead somebody to the Lord and it just didn't really work out? Like, it, you, you thought that you could lead the person to the Lord and, well, they just made fun of you and they ridiculed you and they persecuted you. It didn't go the way that you thought that it would. Do you have somebody in your mind that you're just thinking, that person, that person will, will never accept Jesus into their heart. That person, it's impossible for that person to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you have that person in your mind? And we're just going to break that right now in the name of Jesus. Because they, anyone, anyone can get saved. It is actually God's will that all men come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
It's not impossible. I know it might seem like it's impossible. I think our approach at times is wrong. Because it's, if you're an evangelist, you might be able to lead somebody to the Lord, but it, honestly, it's more of a group effort. You've heard this word, I don't know if I even want to say this. It takes a village. You've heard that? Well, it takes a church. Amen. It takes a church to usher somebody into the kingdom of heaven. It's not just one person. And so if you're, um, if you're dealing with the weight of somebody's salvation, and if you think that it is all upon your shoulders to lead somebody to the Lord, I want to... I wanna, Transform your mind right now. It takes an entire church. It takes an entire community just to lead one soul into heaven. Not only do we have a vision, but we have a mission. And the mission is what we do. What we do inside of Granite Creek is we do relationship, not religion. Right? And so let me unpack that for a second. Relationship with God and not religion basically means is that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah? As cliche as that sounds, as, I mean, we're not the only one that says relationship, not religion, but I got a feeling that my dad probably coined the, the phrase. I'm sure he did. But now it's popular. True statement. Everybody has to have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need your own personal Savior. But this is not a Depeche Mode song. It's partly true. You don't just get your own personal Jesus. Someone who hears your prayers, someone who cares. Pick up the receiver, I'll make you a believer. Yes, the Lord will draw you in as an individual. But the ultimate goal is not only relationship with him, but relationship with the church. All right, you hanging on to your seats. This is probably going to make a lot of us feel very uncomfortable, but I've got some good grounds that it's truth. If you're not a part of the body of Christ, if you're not a part of a faith-based community, you just might not be a Christian. If you think that you can be depression mode and just have your own personal Savior, your own personal Jesus Christ that is there for your own needs whenever you need something and you call upon him, and you do not do life in the context of the church, the bride of Christ, I just, you, you might, might be getting it wrong. You might be deceiving yourselves. Sitting under the tree and praying to the divine isn't good enough. You need to worship in a corporate setting. And we can't even come anywhere close to transforming the culture if we, if we can't do it as a church. It takes a church to transform. How do you feel about that? Do you know the level of your spiritual maturity is dependent on your maturity to connect and be relational in the body of Christ? 
Uh, how healthy are we? I think we're a pretty decent, healthy church. We can always get better. We have to always continue to have this mindset that I'm going to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then I'm also going to have a personal relationship with my church family. This is so vital. It's, 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 it's biblical. It's all over the place. And once we take on this idea of unity, of, of, of going after the kingdom of God, unified and not as individuals, transformation begins to take place, not only in our homes, but you'll see it take place. You'll see the redemption and lift in our communities. I've been asking the question this week, preparing for this message, um, what do you like about your community? What do you dislike about your communities? And I've been getting a lot of uh, bland type of responses. There's no enthusiasm anymore for the communities that we live in. We just feel like we just live in them. We feel as if our communities need to be serving us. But as President Kennedy says, don't ask what your community or what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And this has got to be the vital key to the, the mission of the church is the mission of the church is what can the church do to bless the city? What can the church do to bless the communities? We have to be a blessing to those that around us, our neighborhoods. We, we, need to, we need to find, as a church, as a community, we need to find those cultural gems, those treasures. We need to be a little like Indiana Jones. We need to find the treasure inside of each community, just like you need to find the treasure, the gold in, in individuals. You need to find the gold and the treasure in each community. Each community has its own unique, special culture, the way that God has designed it. God has designed this city to, to be a light, a light that's lifted up high. And I think the city that Granite Creek is doing ministry in, I think that she has lost her way in many aspects. She is not what she once was. What has attracted many of us to the city of light, or the light city, Claremont, what's attracted us here is, is, is beginning to dim. But I believe that as a community of believers, we can encourage her to come back into her divine destiny, to be a light upon a hill. And when that happens, everything gets better for everyone. I know everyone is concerned about the homeless situation that is all over everywhere. Literally, Skid Row is here. How do we know this? Because we know that LA has bust them here. And so how do we deal with this? Like, as a church family, how do we deal with the homeless situation that is now on our streets? I don't want to deal with it. You don't want to deal with it. But here it is. What does a city of light, how do we minister to people that, that, that are in the situation that they're in? How do we deal and how do we become a, 
a community of light for people that are dealing with, with problems, family problems, relational issues, financial issues that are beyond their, their capacity to deal with. How do we do it? I, how, do, how do we reach people? Ready for this? How do we reach people that don't realize that they need to be reached? That don't want to be reached? I think that that is probably one of the biggest blocks for transformation of a culture. Is that there's, ent there's entire people groups that don't know that they need Jesus. My movie that I picked, my movie clip, it's a little bit longer than Michael's, but it's from the movie called The Apostle, 1997. Um, Robert Duvall acted and he directed The Apostle. One of the reasons why I love this movie so much is that it reminds me of my grandfather. The Apostle is about a preacher who had some issues and had some moral failings uh, my grandfather never had any moral failings. He never, you know, he never was a womanizer or, a, you know, a drinker or any of that kind of stuff. He was just a godly man, preached the gospel. But the reason why I like this movie is that Robert Duvall acts and talks and moves like my grandfather did. And so it's just, it's just like, it's kind of creepy when you watch it. It's like, oh, man, that's just, he even wears, like, the same shirts, like, my grandfather always wore a white shirt, and it was either a long sleeve or a short sleeved, buttoned up white shirt. Uh, you never saw him wear a flannel, because that's what cotton pickers wear. I know. He was just a classy man, but he had a heart for the community, he had a heart for the poor. So this is a this this reminds me so much of my grandfather, and that's that's why I resonate so much with it. And. The other, the point of the illustration that we're going to show, we're going to, I'm going to show you what happens when a community is dedicated to the Word of God. When a community wants to be transformed. And what it does to the cynics what it does to the worst of the worst, what it does to those that are down and out, you will literally see a redemption and lift. And so I need to set up the next frame for you, or the next, I need to set up the, the clip for you. So, um, the scene before the clip I'm going to show you. Uh, Robert Duvall has come into a, a, a new little town, and he is literally preaching the gospel in any way that he possibly can, on the radio, at fairs, from the pulpit, at two individuals, two groups. Like he is sharing the gospel everywhere, and it's literally changing this poor little town. It's changing it spiritually. It's changing it economically. Like there's, there's in the whole film, you can see the redemption and lift of the gospel that's being presented into a d depressed area. And one night, they're doing like a VBS, and they have all the kids singing and, and doing music. And Billy Bob Thornton 
stumbles in. Do you guys know who Billy Bob Thornton is? So he's the protagonist of this film. He is, he came to church with a chip on his shoulder. He came to church to question, to be cynical. He's there to troll. He's there to make fun of. He's there to tear down. Billy Bob is the one that needs to be saved. He just doesn't realize it yet. And he is the worst of the worst. Now, he comes in and he trolls uh, Robert Duvall. He says some very horrible things. I'd show you the clip, but there's bad words in it. I got in trouble last time I did that. And Billy Bob is, is an open racist. Says some bad words there, too. And, uh, and Robert Duvall, pastor, is not having it. And he, and, he, and he takes Billy Bob outside into the parking lot and beats him up. Isn't that nice? My, my, my grandfather did that once. <laughs> he had a heckler in his church. He took him out into the parking lot and whooped him. My grandfather was a, was a tough man. When I was in high school, I was varsity wrestling, believe it or not, varsity football. And I had my letter, letterman's jacket on, and I was strutting around with all my bravado. I'm sure I was being disrespectful. And my grandfather says, oh, you think you're tough, young man? Let's go outside in the backyard. And that old man beat me up. <laughs> I mean, it was brutal. I mean, he had no mercy. He just beat me up in the backyard. At 72, 75, he could outswim me in the swimming pool. And I was like, you know, some, I thought I was an athlete. And so that's the kind of, that, that fighting tenacious spirit that, that doesn't give up and that doesn't give up on communities and doesn't give up on people and doesn't give up on the church, doesn't give up on cities. And I think we can get it. Um, an entire culture an entire community, an entire city can be completely transformed by the salvation of just one soul. Did you know that? It just takes one. It might seem like an impossible task to share your faith with somebody that doesn't want to see it, but once again, you need to do it in the context of church, in the context of community. All right, let's watch my clip. This is a long one. Communities and society and nations, they lose their way when they move the book, when they move that word of God out, and they begin to trust and stand on something else. But we're not going to move that book in this church. We are going to have a vision for the lost, and hopefully you caught it. Like, if you want to see your community changed, your neighborhood changed, your, your families changed, your city changed, if you want to see that, you got to love it. you got to love it. you got to kneel down with them. you got to cry with them. you got to go with them. you got to do whatever it takes to show them the love of God. 
And hopefully you caught it too. It takes an entire community to love just one person into God's kingdom. And it requires a Holy Ghost power. It requires something way beyond your brains and your logic to logically lead somebody into faith. Yes, there's room for that. But it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that leads men into redemption and salvation. So we can do that as a church, can't we? So, in order to transform our culture, let's transform our families. Don't move that book from your family. Don't move that word of God. You've got to continually stand on his truth and his precepts. Like Indiana Jones, you've got to walk on those stones. If you place your foot on a wrong stone, what happens? Yeah, I know there's, there's things in the Bible I don't like, but uh, God didn't ask me to, to edit it for him. And I didn't get I wasn't in on that one. That's his book, not my book. And so I have to, by faith, believe it and trust it. And when we do, I believe that everything can change. Second Chronicles, and let me get the band to come on up, and I'll wrap her up because I know we're probably getting hungry. Second Chronicles, chapter 7, 14. Maybe I'll go with 13. If you're uh, struggling right now, here's an answer for you. This is the Lord, the word of the Lord. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people. You ready for this? Hey, listen, listen. If my people, you notice that? My people, not my person. There's got to be a people thing. It's not just a, an own little personal thing. This is a people thing. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Amen. So whatever you want to put in there, put it in there. What is your land? What is your city? What is your community? What is your neighborhood? It needs to be healed. Our, our, our communities, our, our cities, our state, our nation, they, they've lost their way. It needs to be healed. We need to have a heart for it. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I want the Lord to be attentive to the prayers that we offer him in this place. This is a house of prayer. I have chosen 
and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will always be there. He's always with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. But the blessings of the Lord are conditional. We have to repent. Give up our wicked ways. And then he will heal our land. So it starts with us first. And if we can just give a vision for our communities and our cities to repent and follow the Lord once again. Most of the cities in our area were founded by missionaries. Claremont was founded by missionaries to be a, the colleges, believe it or not, were supposed to be colleges that would send out missionaries all over the world to save it. And somewhere along the, along the line, somebody moved the book. And then we, we just see what happens when we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus as a people. Grab your communion elements. If you're like me, I know you need this. Life at times is less than simple and complicated. And you need this food. You need this drink. Raise your hand if you don't have an element. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you haven't done the Billy Bob kneel yet, I would encourage you to do that first because you don't want to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. you need to have that moment, if you need to kneel before the Lord, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you want to step into the body of Christ, to be a part of a faith community, to, to know that you have a loving Heavenly Father, and that you know that Jesus has reconciled us to God the Father. If you're cynical and broken, angry and bitter, and you need the Lord inside of your heart, so encourage everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you need to make that decision to follow Jesus for the first time, let's raise your hand. All right, folks, we're all good to go then. Let's go love our communities. This is the body of Christ. This is what you're attached to. This was broken for you. Everything that you need, your spiritual maturity, lies inside of the body of Christ, which you must be connected to. If you're not connected to the body of Christ, you're not a mature Christian. The body of Christ provides you everything that you need. Receive the body of Christ, the word of God, into your being.
What I loved about that clip is Pastor Robert Duvall, as he's kneeling next to the center, says, I was a worse sinner than you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You might not think that you're worthy to be forgiven. But Jesus has forgiven worse sinners than you. Just read the Bible. This gets us into a right relationship with Jesus. This gets us clean. It washes away all of our sins. And God doesn't remember our transgressions anymore. He completely forgets them. Let's forget them too. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that a good drink? If I could have the ushers come to the front. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your church that breathes life into our souls each and every week as we step into your goodness and then we face our Monday with more confidence and security. We thank you that you are a powerful God and that we have Holy Ghost power to do things that we don't think that we can do. We don't believe that we can share our faith. We don't believe that we can see a community change. We don't believe that a neighborhood that is drowning in poverty can be lifted up. But your word says differently. Your word says if you confess our sins and turn from our wicked ways, then you will heal our land. We may just be instruments of your hands and your feet so your land will be healed once again. This beautiful church called Granite Creek needs to continue to grow and to be healthy. In this beautiful little community called Granite Creek, we'll never move that book. We love you, Lord Jesus. God bless you as you return to the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. 
May he turn towards you in your times of need. May he fill your home and your neighborhood, your community, your place of work, your city, everywhere your feet lands. May it be filled with the peace of God. Go with the blessing of the Lord today. God bless you all. And let's fellowship. Grab some free food and hang out with us. Play some games. God bless you all.